We've talked about moving the needle in diversity at law firms for over two decades. Firms, they've made pledges, GCs have signed packs, diversity scorecards were introduced, certifications attained, and the statistics still show only incremental change. In response, Coca-Cola has made a bold move that aims to hold law firms accountable and create real opportunity for underrepresented lawyers. Joining me today is Conway Egpo, a lawyer who has spent half his career in big law and shifted to a role in-house at a major corporation. He's an adjunct law professor and a frequent speaker and writer on diversity in the legal profession. I'm Lloyd Freeman, Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer of Buchanan, Ingersoll & Rooney, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. Conway, welcome to the show. Lloyd, thanks for having me. So Bradley Gayton, he became the general counsel at Coca-Cola just in September of 2020, and it didn't take him long to, to make a splash in the legal industry. Just in January, he published an open letter, and it was regarding the state of diversity in law firms. And in the, in the letter, he noted, and I quote, the hard truth is that our profession is not treating the issue of diversity and inclusion as a business imperative. We are too quick to celebrate stagnant progress and to reward intention. We have a crisis on our hands. Conway, I know you've been both in-house and in private practice, so you've seen both sides of this. Is there really a crisis? Absolutely, Lloyd. So it would be difficult for anyone to look at the data that's out there and conclude that there is not a crisis. When you look at the numbers specifically, and, and we, we have to be very intentional and deliberate when we're talking about these issues, because what Mr. Gayton is correctly identifying is that there is a lack of black attorneys within the large law firms in America. And it's often obscured behind the, the mantra of diversity and inclusion. So he goes deep uh, in his new requirements for outside counsel. Uh, and so he has specifically laid out what it is that he's looking for, which I have to appreciate, but many of them I have never seen before. So I wanna get your view on a few of them. The first is that at least 30% of the firm lawyers that are retained on Coca-Cola Matters, they must be from underrepresented groups and half of those attorneys must be black. I got to say that again, at least 30% have to be from underrepresented groups and half of those attorneys must be black. I've never heard this before. Right. What do you think of the black attorney mandate? Uh, and why and why do you believe there is this emphasis specifically, I guess, expounding on what you said before right. on black attorneys? Right. Bold, bold moves. Right. So if we, we look at, you know, the, you, you referenced a um, there was an American lawyers uh, diversity scorecard that recently came out. The NALP directory consistently keeps statistics on, on these numbers as well. Uh, the New York City Bar Association did a benchmark report, as, as it does typically every year, that, that takes an examination of black law firm, or excuse me, at black attorneys within law firms, as well as other diverse attorneys. And the consistent theme among these, that when you look at the numbers, you see that black associates in large law firms constitute approximately four and a half percent. Uh, at best. I think Cleary Gottlieb in the American Lawyers Diversity Scorecard had the highest percentage of black associates at 8%. I think it was 8.3 to be exact. Uh, even though, you know, when we look at partners, of course, that number drops off precipitously. Uh, then we're, the average among all firms is about 1.8%. Um, even at Cleary, which, which boasts great numbers, uh, we're talking about 5%, uh, which, which is an outlier for, for large law firms. And so, with stepping back and putting this within the context of, of uh, the the rule that the Coca-Cola General Counsel laid out, what, what you're seeing is, and what he's getting at is that diversity has become a very uh, liberally stretched term 
at large law firms, they have they have recognized that they can pretty much include anybody in their diversity numbers and pr- pump to pump those numbers up to give the appearance of being uh, of taking diversity and inclusion seriously. But when we look inside the racial demographics of these law firms, what you will often find is the case, unfortunately, is that black, Latino, Asian, and specifically black uh, lawyers are not being uh, recruited heavily and, and certainly not being promoted at the same rates as our white counterparts. But you've been inside of, of a law firm. And so, you know, you're an associate, you're at a law firm and you see this mandate and you're a black man. Do you feel as if then this ends up resulting in some kind of tokenism that you're only staffed on matters because you're black? And do we care? Right. It's a, it's a, which is a good question, right? Because I'm sure that that will be the, the outside counsel for Coca-Cola their initial attempt to comply with this will, will likely result in some level of tokenism, to your point. And uh, do, do we care? Uh, we should care. We absolutely should care. Uh, because, uh, you know, to, to, you, to use a phrase you and I know, uh, all, all skinfolk ain't kinfolk. Um, for the listeners who may not be familiar with that phrase, uh, it's not enough to just have black bodies in these, in these positions. Uh, there's a cultural responsibility aspect to what we're talking about here. We're not just trying to see black bodies in seats for the sake of having a token in place. What we're talking about are people who uh, can you know, understand the responsibility culture, from a cultural perspective of the importance of diversity for, for diversity's sake, um, for you know, that there is an underrepresented group who knows the history of, of why it's underrepresented and knows that there's a significant uh, imperative to make sure that there are more black attorneys and Latino attorneys and Asian attorneys who are represented in these groups because of the access that that provides to our communities. So it goes further. And, you know, I really feel like this is the most important piece because there's accountability. And so uh, the, the, the GC and his requirements, he uh, further outlines that outside counsel that failed to meet the commitment for two quarters are subject to a non-refundable 30% reduction in fees owed until the firm reaches those benchmarks. Is this the secret formula? Is this the second secret formula that Coke has invented to, to, to hit him in the pockets? It may be, right? So, so uh, what Bradley Gayton has, has, has tapped into here, after rewind the clock back to summer 2020, um, after Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, uh, when and we saw Black Lives Matter uh, take center stage and, and corporate America seemingly for the first time in many instances was kind of introduced to the idea that there is you know racial injustice uh, not just in the world but within their the four walls of, of their own institutions uh, there was a lot of think tank and and uh, a lot of um, you know brainstorming about how to address this issue and you know we have the, the carrot and the stick approach when it comes to law firms meaning, uh, you can try to entice them with incentives, but then you, you can also try to you know, hit them with the stick if they if they fall short of that. Uh, what he's describing here is the stick for sure. Um, there there were also uh, thoughts uh, that came out of this this time period where uh, people were talking about well, look on the opposite side of that if they're doing and I and I think he I think he includes this in his proposal. I'm, I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken that you can also be incentivized financially uh, as outside counsel. If you do hit these metrics and you are um, in, incorporating black attorneys and, and di- racially diverse attorneys in your in your uh, matters, 
and, and pr- promoting them at the same rates um, as, as their white counterparts, then there's a uh, there can be a, like a bonus at the end of uh, of the year that that will then incentivize that firm to to make sure that they're doing that. So in other words, diversity and inclusion, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, these these are all uh, th- these are all pr- practices that should be done just because they're the right thing to do. But we recognize that that's that's been that's been true. That's been true, you know, before you and I were born. And but what's also true is the numbers have not changed. And at the end of the day, these are businesses, and they respond to market uh, to to market criteria such as right. incentives to do uh, to make profit, and of course penalties. Uh, that will result in losses. And so at the end of the day, uh, these things hopefully will have the, the desired effect. So the other set of numbers, because you're right, the numbers don't lie, but the other set of important numbers are the internal numbers at law firms around origination and matter credit. This is a huge issue, as we both know, inside of law firms. And so for any listeners who do not know what we're talking about, this is how it works. So a lawyer gets credit for each client they bring to the firm and for each subsequent matter that those clients hire the law firm to work on. So essentially, the money behind each of those engagements, that's the credit. Lawyers who bring in more origination credit, basically more money, they get larger bonuses from the law firm. Coca-Cola wants law firms to be transparent with how that credit is being allocated on their legal matters. So Conway, now you're in-house, right? So how does that work towards solving the diversity problem at firms for now uh, the in-house legal team to know how that origination credit is being apportioned? It's tremendously huge um, to have that that level of transparency because what we did, and, and you alluded to this, um, you know, we the, the a group that I think we'll, we'll get to later in the program, but um, I was I founded a group of African American male attorneys in, in large law firms. We did a study that was published last year that looked at this, and, and we found that 82 percent of our membership, uh, that is 82 percent of uh, black men attorneys uh, at, at our respective law firms, had our faces featured on pitch materials that their law firms were using to get business into the firm. But then once the business came into the firm, those same black attorneys who were used for the pitch were not staffed on those matters. And you know, going to the, the that point of That sounds like a bait and switch to me. Absolutely, right. <laughs> so this, this is going to the origination credit, right? So uh, we, with having that level of transparency as, a, as an in-house um, as a business and as an in-house lawyer, you know we can see, okay, so if we're serious about incentivizing our outside counsel to live up to the ideals and goals of diversity, and we can see that there that there's a financial incentive that's lacking. Uh, in other words, they're they're not giving origination credit where origination credit should be should be given. Uh, you know, listen, that's that's something that you know, informs us then to say, look, maybe we don't want to do business with that with that outside counsel. Maybe we want to have a conversation with that outside counsel. Um, you know, it just opens up the door for a lot of possibilities that we would not ordinarily have because we don't have that transparency into how the money is being allocated behind the closed doors. Once once you guys get our matters, you know, we don't see we see that you we see the time, but we can't see who gets what. <laughs> That's the the secret formula inside of law firms. And so (laughs) they're asking to see behind the curtain. Uh, So so the one last piece that's um, articulated in the uh, in the new mandates, and it's for firms to identify uh, two or more underrepresented lawyers as candidates who could succeed the relationship partner uh, who currently has Coke as a client. And half of those attorneys identified in the secession plan have to be black. 
And I know we talked about tokenism earlier, but essentially the same question. I mean, so are we talking about a quota system? You know, now we're saying that you have to put at least, you know, half of these individuals uh, being black in order to succeed the relationship partner on this particular, you know, for this particular client, this particular matter. And again, do we care? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a it's a great I think you, you I think what he was uh, trying to accomplish here is you, you have to start somewhere. Um, will will this be as a practical matter possible at many firms in their current state today? The answer to that is no. They they just don't have the numbers. Um, just the numbers just, don't lie. <laughs> just just plain and simple. They they just do not have the numbers to to do that. However, given a, a company of the stature of Coca Cola, and if more companies follow suit, and this becomes a a market imperative that where if you want to do business this is this is the cost of doing business i have no doubt law firms will all of a sudden start to uh see that there there are there's there's some value in recruiting and promoting uh black and other diverse attorneys i what what i would also note here uh is that we know that the talent is out there if if law firms are serious about recruiting black talent and promoting black talent uh, the talent is out there. We, we, you and I, of course, you know, we, we run in these circles, and we, we, we're so we may be, a, you know, uh, become a customer used to seeing this. It's, it, it's a still a mystery. I think it was the, uh, it was the Wells Fargo CEOs, one, one of the bank CEOs. I don't want, I don't want to miss, uh, yeah. uh, who, who said that they they would love to hire more black people, but that we just don't exist. Uh, you know, black professionals just don't exist in, in those numbers. No, that we we certainly exist. Uh, there there is something to the tune of about. 3,500 black uh, law school graduates every single year. Um, now, granted, the big law path, which is what we're talking about here, uh, you know, you, you can probably take about, say, 25, 30 uh, percent of those go into large law firms, right? So, you know, you're, you're probably talking somewhere in the neighborhood of, like, say, you know, five, 500 to 1,000 at best each year. But those, they're, they're, those numbers are out there. You know, in other words, the you know, if, if the firms were serious about this 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 issue, um, there there are black attorneys who have been in and, and who are capable of being in large law firms. And if the large firms are serious about recruiting them, we're, they're out there. Uh, it's just they have not had anyone hold this over their head before. So it, it, I, I'm very curious to see the end result. Uh, to be honest, I, I do not know, as I sit here today, whether or not this is this is achievable. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, but I would love to see that. You know, I do know that the numbers can certainly be better than where they are today. You know, whether it's achievable or not is one question. But I mean, we can definitely agree that it's, it's changing the game. Uh, and so um, I want you to put on both of your, your, your hats that you've uh, that you've worn before. And so both as an associate, you know, blackmail at a big law firm uh, and then also as in-house you know, counsel. And you're, you're hearing these mandates. What, what's your reaction um, you know, because you're living this every day. So what's your reaction if you're an associate at a law firm? How does this make you feel as an associate of color, of course? Many moons ago, back when I was an associate, uh, if, if I had heard that, th that this kind of pressure was coming from on high, uh, it would have actually uh, made me feel better about, you know, involving and raising my hand to be a part of those like pitches, for example, that uh, that the firms go on where we know that we are, you know, the bait and switch takes place, right? Um, and so it would make me feel more of a, like there would be more of an opportunity to actually be a valued member of the team. And I might actually stick my, my you know, raise my hand more to 
put myself out there and, and be more involved uh, as it stands today, there's there's just no incentive to do that. There's no incentive for a black attorney to spend billable time being a part of a business development endeavor that that black attorney will then have no involvement in once it's within the firm. There's just there's just no incentive or, to do that. Or no credit, no origination and, and no and no origination credit. And, and absolutely. Uh, so this this is a game changer in that regard. I, I hope that more corporations start to take note and adapt similar plans um, as what's approached here, because I think it will ha- the the end result is that it will have the, a desired impact in terms of how these law firms do do, do business. Because at the end of the day, as we mentioned, these are businesses. They 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 respond to market data, and if this is the market data, they're going to respond to it and market pressures. <laughs> so I do want to transition into 1844 before we, uh, before we wrap up. And you mentioned, you know, this is the group that you, uh, that you founded, a group of black male attorneys who are primarily in uh, law firms and also in in-house legal departments. You alluded earlier to the study uh, that the group published that revealed 44% of those black males were the only black male attorneys in their office. And we know this is reflective of many law firm offices across the country. Um, but now that we're faced with these new Coca-Cola, you know, guidelines, what will law firms do? You, you mentioned it before that, yeah, they're going to have to do something different to recruit some of this talent because, you know, it's out there. But do firms even have the ability to comply with these guidelines? You know, are they going to look at this admission as mission impossible and just go elsewhere or? So, you know, a great question. And, you know, this is this is the million dollar question, right? So it as as the it's important for, I guess, the, the viewers to understand under the current context, what we are seeing is when we're talking about large law firm recruitment of minorities, uh, and, and let's, let's be specific, let's talk about black attorneys. Um, they will go to the top 14 law schools, uh, of which you probably maybe have a couple hundred of us there. Right. Uh, they will then go to Howard, um, which is one of several historically black college universities that has a law school, but they will go specifically to Howard. Uh, and that's that's the end of the of the, the diligence uh, in terms of the recruitment effort to find black attorneys. Uh, what they will not do is go to and, and and there are many I should say um, it's important to note there are many very talented law school graduates and specifically black law school graduates who attend schools that are ranked number fifteen through a hundred uh, who are very capable. Very intelligent, uh, extremely uh, you know competent attorneys uh, who just don't come from those particular couple of niche places that law firms like to look for, and why? Because they feel that they would be quote unquote lowering their standards if they were to look outside this very limited uh, search criteria. Uh, what we what I can tell you from having practiced in law firms is that that's complete nonsense. Um, there there are a number of attorneys. Uh, out there, you do not have to come from a particular pedigree. I know that's the belief, and I, I know I know that they do that because of the historical Cravath model going back, you know, to the early 1900s, in which that they that was one of the things that they felt clients wanted to see was Ivy League law school graduates um, in their ranks, and that's just kind of caught on. And you, today, you have firms that are just following that model; they don't even understand like the origin, the origins of where it came from. Uh, they're just blindly following that model, uh, but it's. Excellent always been done right right they think that's all the way it's always been done but what if you're a law firm what you should be asking yourself is who can actually can this person actually do the work can they do the work 
Because at the end of the day, that's what our clients are, are paying us these absorbent amounts of money for. Uh, they, they want results. They come to us with a legal problem. They say, hey, look, we have this legal uh, challenge. And the law, as a law firm, your task is to then uh, provide those legal services and solve that problem. And it doesn't take somebody necessarily from Harvard or Yale to do that. No, no shade to my, my Harvard and Yale brothers and sisters out there who, you know, hats off to you uh, if you're a graduate of those fine institutions. But you could also, like myself, be a graduate of Rutgers, as, as is Lloyd, um, and do the same job. And we know from our own, we, we are but one of many examples of people who have come from outside of the, that limited section of, of Ivy League schools who have done tremendously well in our, in our own careers. And, and we can also point to several others like us. You know, what that sounds like to me is that we are mitigating bias here because it seems like you're, at least Coca-Cola is, they're really pushing for there to be a shift in the mindset and they're shifting from this credentials-based model to a skills-based model. And so to your point, you're gonna see them open up the doors and to really expand their reach and to really look for people who have the skill set, not necessarily people who are just carrying the credentials, you know, in which we could spend another uh, entire episode talking about, you know, privilege and access, you know, to get those credentials. Um, you know, as we wrap up, Conway, uh, the general counsel, uh, he kind of had a, a mic drop moment as he, uh, as he issued a challenge and he did it in a tweet uh, to other companies. And so he said, quote, I'm proud to be walking the walk. And then he asked, who is joining us? That's the mic drop. So final question is, do you think there's going to be a ripple effect here? Will other companies issue strict mandates like Coca-Cola? I think it will catch on. It's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be staggered, but there, there's a groundswell of momentum here for companies to, now that this issue is front and center, um, thanks to the efforts of, of everybody who's out there taking up the mantle of Black Lives Matter, um, you know, that it's, it's definitely on the forefront of corporate America. It's on the radar now. And you, know, you, you have companies all over the place that are trying to figure out what they can do to move the needle in this space. And you have a bold example like this. Now, this is bold. Now, are they all going to go this route? Hey, probably not. <laughs> just, just to be honest. Uh, but they'll definitely look at this and say, hey, look, um, we, we need to be doing more. If, if this, this articulates what is possible and if, and if Coca-Cola ends up seeing results, uh, you know, with their outside counsel, this could easily you know, become you know, like the market trend on, on how business is done. And so I, I think it will catch on uh, at varying degrees, you know, depending each institution is going to be different. It's going to take on different forms at different companies. Uh, but I think the, the overall theme of, of doing something different and not just maintaining the status quo, I think that's what, what you'll see catching on. Well, it's definitely one to watch. I have no doubt that uh, associates and partners alike, whether they are uh, you know, persons of color or, or women or even their, you know, their, their white male counterparts. They're taking note. Other major corporations are definitely going to take note as well. Um, and this is going to be one that we're going to have to put our finger on maybe a year from now, three years from now, and see how this ends up affecting, you know, that pathway to partnership, uh, uh, the apportionment of uh, origination credit and everything else that this looks to, uh, to cure inside of law firms. Um, I can tell you one thing for certain is that it's absolutely going to end up affecting the way in which we look at the importance of diversity and inclusion inside of law firms. Conway Edpo, thank you so much for joining me in the studio. I appreciate you coming and lending us your, your mind on this very critical issue. Great. Thanks, Lloyd. Appreciate being here. <laughs>